an excerpt from the Institutes of Biblical Law by R. J. Rushdoony, Chapter 8, The Eighth Commandment, from Section 10, titled The Virgin Birth and Property. The strong vein of Manichaeanism in the Church has led it to disregard the material world for the world of the spirit, or, in the case of the modernists, to choose the material order as against the spiritual. Those who disregard the material world will become antinomians. The gospel for them has no law for the material world, because that world must perish and must be renounced. The mandate to subdue the earth, the promises concerning a restored creation and, at the end, of a resurrection body, are not taken seriously. The world and the flesh are linked with the devil as an unholy trinity. The modernists affirm the world of matter and renounce the law for a like reason. The two alien worlds of spirit and matter cannot, according to Manichaean theology, be linked. The material world is therefore its own source of law, and the consequence is a social gospel, a gospel derived from society rather than God, and a situation ethics, a morality governed by the existential material moment. The modernist turns the birth narrative of Jesus Christ into a myth. The evangelicals convert the history into a sweet, otherworldly tale. The reality of that history is totally anti-Manichaean and totally relevant to time and eternity. The Manichaean mind has so extensively infected the Western world that to write or speak of the virgin birth and property comes as a shock. The twain should never meet. The Annunciation, Luke 1, 26-38, declared that Jesus would be given the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end, Luke 1, 32 and 33. At this point, churchmen hasten to tell us that this throne and kingdom are spiritual and have no reference to this world, except insofar as men are saved and enter the ark of the church. That the meaning includes a spiritual and an eternal frame of reference can be fully granted and must be, but there is no ground for the exclusion of a reference to time and history. Plainly, Jesus Christ shall be Lord and Sovereign of the nations in terms of messianic prophecy. He comes to reclaim his realm, his property, as sovereign Lord. Mary clearly so understood it, as the Magnificat makes clear. Luke 1, 45-56 The Magnificat is simply a joyful recital of Old Testament prophecies on the subject. It is, in fact, almost wholly made up of Old Testament quotations. The Virgin Mary celebrated the mighty reversal of things which in principle has already been accomplished by the entrance of God upon the course of history and in the life of mankind through the coming Messiah, her promised Son. This mighty reversal of things is the overturning of the dominion of sin over man and history. It is the mighty reordering of all things under the dominion of the King, Jesus the Messiah, because God's mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation, Luke 1.50. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, he hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed for ever. Luke one fifty one through fifty five. 
Very obviously, Mary meant that history would see a mighty reversal of things because of her son's birth. By his strength, the vain imaginations of men would be confounded. The mighty would be dethroned, and the blessed meek of the Lord exalted. The hungry people of God would be filled, and the rich sinners would be cast out to beg. All this would be in fulfillment of the prophecies to patriarchs and prophets that, through the seed of Abraham and of David, the Israel of God would possess the whole material earth. To say that Mary believed this, but that a spiritual fulfillment was instead intended by God, is to trifle with Scripture. The plain meaning of Mary is unmistakable. If her words can be spiritualized into a non-material fulfillment, then the creation narrative and the reports of the virgin birth can also be spiritualized into a non-material fulfillment. Either Scripture means what it says, or it means nothing. Obviously, then, a very real and material fulfillment is the only valid meaning here. Very generally, then, this meaning is as follows. First, the earth is the property of Jesus Christ, because he is the Messianic King, the very Son of God, as well as the royal Son of David. Second, this King has the right of eminent domain and can do as he pleases with his property. He can turn out the ungodly and give the kingdom to those who obey him as Jesus declared. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruit thereof. Matthew 21:43. The purpose of his coming is to dispossess the present world leadership and to give his domain to his people. Third, this means that the people of God must expect his kingdom, enforce its laws, and be faithful to the creation mandate to subdue the earth and to exercise dominion over it. Genesis 1, 26-28 Fourth, through the Messiah, God will dethrone all enemies. This plainly means total victory. The Magnificat clearly prophesies the total victory of Jesus Christ and the uprooting of the kingdom of man. The ungodly will be openly confounded and turned out, and the people of God equally openly brought to power and victory. Israel, the covenant people of God, shall be established in full power. It will not do to say, as did Lenski, and Mary said, hence at no divine inspiration, neither this nor revelation were needed for the contents of this hymn. Unlike that of Elizabeth, it contains no prophecy and no proof of knowledge that is supernaturally communicated. Elizabeth's hymn is directed to Mary, and properly so. Mary's to God, and again most properly Elizabeth's is a continuation of Gabriel's address to Mary. Mary's a continuation and an expression of her brief reply to Gabriel. While Mary's is most beautiful in phrase and form, it is on a lower level than Elizabeth's. As against Linsky, the Magnificat very clearly does contain and is prophecy. Moreover, it restates Old Testament prophecy. If only that which is labeled inspired in the Bible is actually inspired, then many a prophecy must be demoted. Mary prophesied. Either she was not inspired and was merely extravagant and emotional, or else she clearly prophesied in the Spirit of God. The Annunciation clearly indicates that more than the womb of Mary was set apart by God for his holy purpose, and it does violence to Scripture to limit the workings of God to Mary's womb. The fact that Linsky added after the above statement that Mary herself furnishes no cause for Mariolatry makes clear his purpose to underrate Mary. It is not Mariolatry to do justice to Scripture. Fifth, the law, thou shalt not steal, 
means also that man cannot rob God of his prerogatives nor his property. God cast the thieves out of his vineyard, Matthew 21, 33-44, and grinds to powder his enemies. The virgin birth, therefore, is the confirmation of God's law and an emphatic assertion of God's property rights over man and the earth. This miracle sounds the note of victory and restoration.